What's happening, bro? Man, I got my I got my uh my boots and my helmet ready. <laughs> What's happening? I ain't they been watching the news. They, they about to deliver the verdict in about a half hour. Oh, oh, oh your shit. boy. Yeah. Yeah, man. See, that's why I wore my shirt. I was gonna wear something else, but shout out to <laughs> you. Right. If up. anybody anybody listening to audio, he got a shirt on that say, Yes, I am mixed with black, unapologetically black, proud, black, and black again. Straight up. Straight yeah, up, man. bro. And king. Yeah, right. Mixed with king yeah. too. Well, I'm working on the king. I'm working on my crown right now. I'm working on my crown. Shout out to that, man. We got guy toys. So this is my homeboy, Lee. He won't be on the main conversation. He just, like, help, you know, if we need him to look up something or something like that. He, he around. I'd have wore my beard. I'd have my beard if I'd known it was a hey, beard. Hey, hey, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> hey, this is, this is my show just got canceled last week, beard. That's what this is. <laughs> hey, man. Hey, that, that that is your hey, man. You had a show to get canceled. Yeah, shout, shout out to that. Five years. We did five years. I can't complain. Yeah, man, that's, that's a blessing, boy. Yeah, straight up. Um, Blessing. That means that means it's, you got you got a, a different role, not a, maybe a better role, but a, a different role. Straight and another up, show. Straight I've been in this game too long. I know how it goes, bro. Man, and that's why I want to talk about it. So I want you to know, man, guy. The reason I created this platform, I, I had it in mind. I started it um, during like COVID, during the quarantine, but I wanted to do it for like two years, and I just didn't have the time to do it. And then finally, when the right. pandemic struck, I was able to do it. And the point of this whole platform was I wanted to have a platform to celebrate people that I feel like are living legends and making legendary moves. Um, you somebody that I've seen all throughout. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to make you sound a little old, but I mean, just growing up. There you go. You know, <laughs> no, but growing up, man, you somebody that I, that I always saw on TV, always saw on films, always funny, man. And then when I moved to L.A., had a chance to, you know, do some shows with you and, and just get to know you a little bit. Did, did, a, did a TV, like with that Black Car Revolt. You know, yeah, man. Yeah. It took mine. <laughs> yeah, hey, man. I took yours. I won both of my episodes. I beat you and um, Slink Johnson, Black Jesus. I beat his ass too. <laughs> <laughs> to, the bl- to the blackest mofos around, and you and you beat us both. Hey, you, man. You, you, ain't even, you ain't even black, black. You kind of caramel. <laughs> you paper baggish. <laughs> yeah, I would I would I would almost pass that paper brown tag. I went with that pra- that paper bag brown test or some shit back yeah, in the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Paper bag test. I would I would I would almost passed it. You know what I'm saying? But that's why I wanted to have you on, man. But I wanted to like really, you know, have this conversation with you. Um now before we get started, I want to get into some of your credits. Uh, the movie Life, American History X, Pearl Harbor, Runaway Jury, Don't Say a Word, Martin, the Animal, Tripping, the Strip. Um, man, so let's talk about it. Let's get into it. Let's get into it, man. How how was it growing up in St. Louis? You know, growing up in St. Louis was, uh, it was crazy because uh, there's one part of our life where my mom and dad were separated. Because I was actually born in Northern California. Then we moved to New York. Then we got to St. Louis. Gotcha. But we claimed St. Louis because that was the most of the years, our, our most important years, at least my most important years anyway. So, you know, so my mom was, you know, in St. Louis raising six kids by herself, man, struggling. You know, we were po-po, like po-po-po-po-po. Um, and then at one point, my dad was like, you know, that, that's not cool. And he got back with my mom. So, you know, it was like, you know, it was a different life. So I was almost like born again. So growing up then, man, was disciplined. You know, Pops was a drill sergeant, man. So, you know, we were in the hood. We were, we were from the streets. We just weren't street. You know what I mean? So when he came, we were still poor, but not at as poor when it was just my mom and the kids. But dad came in and instilled some discipline, man. And we needed that shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I could tell. Hey, was you was you one of those kids that was like always cracking jokes in class, like like the class clown type dude? 
You know, it's funny, at, at home, no. Joe was the one, my older brother, those who don't know, I have an older brother named Joe Tory, um, AKA Satan. Anyway. Um, <laughs> his brother is a, 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 also a famous uh, stand-up comedian uh, in his own right. AKA Satan. Um, the, but uh, Joe was the one who was always at home cracking jokes, man. I was always the one at school, on the school bus, at work, on campus, when I was in college, I was that dude. So when I became a comedian, all my friends weren't surprised. At home, everybody was shocked. You know, it's so funny. I was the exact same way. Uh, people couldn't believe it. At home, I was quiet. I was just watching right. TV. I didn't really say too much. And then at school, I was wilding out. So my mom used to get mad because I would have, like, good grades, but my um, behavior grades were bad. <laughs> that part. I was the same way. Dude, same thing. Like, like my dad, my dad was one. Because my mom was an educator. She was a teacher. Me too. So, and then my dad was a drill sergeant. And he was a disciplinarian, bro. So he would go pick up the report card. And I have an A or B, but he'd go look at that conduct grade. <laughs> and that'd be like a five, five being the worst. And maybe an A would be a five. And I got in trouble for that. He wouldn't even look at the grade first. But that's a comedian, man, because we're very smart. We're very intellectual. But then at the same time, we act the hell up. But that's what comedians are, man. We professional smart assholes. I tell people, man, my homeboys know I say that all the time. I'm like, man, I'm an asshole. I said, all comedians are assholes. Even Ellen DeGeneres, it's just different levels of your assholeness. But make no mistake, all I'm a, comedians are assholes. I'm a bleached asshole. Bleached yeah. bleach. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so, so when, I ain't got that. I ain't got that Ohio State Buckeye asshole. <laughs> <laughs> when, when did when did you start to um get into comedy though? When did you start to see it as something that you could make a profession out of? Man, you know it wasn't until really I got to LA. And my first comedy show was as crazy was in college as an attendee. Like I, they had, you know, you go on college campus, they had them free shows. We, we didn't been on both sides of them. You'd have probably done them yep. as a comedian, but you also probably been a part of them as, as a student. So it was a comedian named Henry Cho, Korean comedian from Tennessee, man. It was the first comic I ever seen live. And then when my brother moved to LA to do stand up, you know, he, he did Apollo and started doing guest star roles on, on sitcoms and stuff. And I was like, okay, I moved to LA in 92, man. I was like, you know what? Hell, I'm gonna try this because I wasn't going anywhere in St. Louis. A dead end job. I was like, fuck that. I'm 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 moving to LA. And I was always kind of the campus clown, the class clown, like we said, but I really didn't understand being a comedian was actually a profession and a job, you know, until really I saw my brother on Def Jam. Wow. What did that do for you seeing your brother on that show? Uh I was like, oh, I'm funny in that nigga. No. <laughs> 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 but you know, you know what's funny? No, it, 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 when he started acting, he was on Amen first, you know, the show Amen from back in the day. And I was critiquing his acting then, but that's the pattern of, 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 of my life because I have, um, you know, it's six of us. So I have um, four older, five older siblings. No, four older siblings. Everything they did, I did. So I followed their footsteps and I was critiquing what they did. So it was just natural for me to, to see my brother, you know, do acting, critique that, but then do stand up and then go on those and fill those shoes as well. So everything they did, I did, and they did it just as well, or, or if not better. Now, this is something I always wonder, was there ever any type of uh, sibling rivalry in Hollywood between you and your brother? Like, when he landed, like, did y'all ever have to, like, audition for the same roles, and then one of y'all land something, you like, God damn, I wish that was me, or vice versa? Well, no, not coming from me. I mean, I, I think it, honestly, I think it came from the other side. I was never competing with my brother, man, because, I mean, that's big bro. And, and I always believe it was mine, it's mine, it's gonna be for me, it's for me. So 
Uh, there have been times I would call him about auditions. The same role. You know, hey, man, I went in on this part, man. I think, I think you're better for this role than I am. Man, tell your agent to get you in on this role. It can be the same exact role. I would, I'll call some of my friends and tell them about, hey, man, I went on this so-and-so audition today. Or if they had the audition, I'd be like, hey, man, the room, the room is cool. They want you to ad-lib, blah, 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 blah. Nah, I'm sure my agent's in like that, but, <laughs> well, you know, what my name was on, my name was on. I don't trip off that shit, but as far as me and Joe, man, I never looked at it as competition. Um, but I think as I started working and started, you know, growing, I think he looked at it as competition. Gotcha. And, and I think it really got frustrated <laughs> one time because he's big bro, you know, and then on top of that, he started first, you know, had success at it first. So, of course, there's going to be some type of ego or some type of big bro shit there. But I think one time he went into an audition and uh, and description said, we're looking for a, you know, guy Tory type. <laughs> they didn't call me, <laughs> but they called my brother in. <laughs> we're uh -uh. looking for a guy Tory type. And see, Joe went in and was like, hey man, that's my brother. Want his fucking phone number? <laughs> <laughs> Straight up though. <laughs> but I mean, that, I can't imagine how that must feel. Like, wait a minute, man. Cause you know, our careers went, went different ways, you know? He, 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 he wasn't doing as many TV shows and movies, more stand-up, and then I was doing more TV shows and movies, so I think he felt some type of way. Well, yeah, man, because, I mean, I've heard that about a lot of relationships. Like, I know, like, couples, like, men and man. women couples, you know, when they're both actors, they, they get some type of rivalry or jealousy from what, somebody because somebody is being more successful at one point, you know, and then it could switch, you know, and then this person's career is doing better. And that's crazy to me, man, because unless you're a same-sex couple of actors, well, you ain't getting the same roles. <laughs> Straight up. <laughs> Straight you know what up. You know how you mad at your wife or your girlfriend because she's booking more roles than you? She probably, I'm sure she looked better than you. You know what I'm saying? And she's a woman. So you can't get mad at that. Who, hey, unless if we're a couple, whoever going to pay these bills? Hey, whoever work, work. Well, see, that might be what it come down to is, like, who can talk the most shit in the household, too? Right. You're right. You know? That part. <laughs> yeah. That part. That part. <laughs> He ain't worked since the Master P movie, motherfucker. <laughs> Straight up, right. <laughs> yeah, since I'm going to get you sucker uh, fucking right. the last time you had a role. Um, <laughs> so when, when you moved to L.A. in 92, how long were you doing stand-up until you got, like, your first um, TV role? Was it, was it two like days? A, two days? No, really. I mean, it was my first big break was Def Comedy Jam. Mm. I, I started stand-up in uh, September 1992, I did Def Jam January 1994. Wow. So really kind of like in less than two years, maybe a year and a half, uh, I, was, I was on TV. But when I booked Def Comedy Jam, I knew I had leaped over a lot of people. I knew I did. And I knew the, chat, the chatter was going to start. Oh, Joe hooked him up and da 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 But it was Bob Sumner who told Joe, hey, I think your brother's ready. Because I had a chance to do the last season Martin hosted. And Joe was like, nah, you ain't ready. And he was right. I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. But... I was in the gym. And what I mean by the gym, I was getting the reps in on stage every night, you know, doing two, two. In LA, you can do that, man. In New York, you can probably do five gigs a night. But in LA, right. man, I was, I don't care what it was. It could be a comedy club. I'll leave there, go to a pizza place. I'll leave there and, and, and do comedy. Or I'll go to a little bar. I mean, but, but I was, I knew I had to be ready because I knew if I bombed, you know what I'm saying? It, it, it was going to be that, oh, he wasn't ready. Oh. So I went on Def Jam, man. And I'm telling you, man, I, I was determined to uh to destroy and at the same time i was working working on the martin show too so i was a pa on the martin show at the same time and i remember man i remember when i did def jam man and and having a great set man i was like man and, and it wasn't until 
that moment and then another moment happened that, that happened at Def Jam uh, in Def Jam. The second time I did it was like, you know what? I can do this. I can make a career out of this. Oh, dope. Now let's talk about you being a PA on Martin because I knew you was on Martin. I, I remember the episode when you was like, uh, impersonating. Wrote an episode of Martin too. Say that again? And wrote an episode of Martin. Oh, damn. So yeah, talk about how'd you get that gig? How'd you, how'd you link up with, with, that, with that show in, in Martin? Well, my brother again, Joe, uh, him and Martin were friends, of course, you know, and I just moved to LA. Joe didn't want me in his pockets. So he's like, yo, man, my little brother need a job. So I went, you know, and um, I went and, and, and had an interview with the production coordinator, gave me the job, worked my ass off. They never saw me slacking, never saw me slipping. I was always on point. You know, I was hitting the comedy nights I didn't work. I was in a comedy club. The nights I worked, I was, you know, delivering scripts. You know, for those who don't know, a production assistant is that's you like a gopher. You're like a paid gopher. You're a, a glorified intern. <laughs> Whatever errands they need you to run, you run. And and from, from writers having you go to their house and turn a pot of greens off to delivering scripts to a guest star that's coming on the show the following week. This, so before, you, this before emails, everybody. You this know. before emails. This is before uh, uh, um, um, GPS. Dude, we had a big ass Thomas guy. You had to, you had to look. That's how I learned LA. Cause I'm coming from St. Louis. You know, I had a little hoopty, man. I learned LA by going and having to deliver scripts to the HBO executives, to the Fox executives, to the guest actors, to the writers, to producers, to everybody, man. And I remember one time, man, we had, to, uh, we had an actor that lived in Simi Valley. And Damn. those you don't know, that's where the Rodney King trial was. Racist as hell. And I had to go to Simi Valley like at two in the morning and deliver somebody's script. I did not get out the fucking car. I, I was like a paper boy that night. I rode that winter down and flown that. <laughs> I don't know if he got that strip or not. But I wasn't, I, I, yo, I wasn't stepping on somebody's lawn in Simi Valley at two in the morning and the motion light go off. And I'm black and I got a strip. Then I flew that strip. So, so they hit the door. I was like, I'm out. I'm Thank out. you, nigger. Yeah. Got strip. Yo, that's. <laughs> yeah, so that's, so that's, that's what's me to PA. Um, and I, I always said that was the best job I ever had, man, because I learned so much doing that. I learned what, what, how to act on set as an actor. As of now, I'm an executive producer, but what producers do, what directors do. I, I met a lot of executives from HBO and, and Fox and things like that. So it, it's a job that you, can, that you can get paid for, you can learn from, you can be a sponge, man, and, and, and soak all that shit up. But it led to so many things. It led to uh, me doing audience warm-up. First time I did audience warm-up was on the Martin Show when I filled in for J. Anthony Brown or, or Myra J. I guest starred. I mean, well, before I guest starred, I was Martin Standing for a couple episodes. I was I had to be Otis one time. I had to be um, um, Martin one time. As a, you just saw the side of me, because we were kind of the same height and and had to put the same gear on. But I also ended up writing an episode because I was always cracking jokes and everybody. So the writers were getting jokes for me to put in the script. So you know, then I ended up co-writing an episode called Romantic Weekend when I got attacked by this rat on this island. That was my first oh, you co-wrote that one. Yeah, man. You'll That's see one it. of my it's, favorites. It's, it's, yeah, man. So, so it was a great job for me, man. It was a great entry job. But at the same time, I was hitting comic clubs night after night after night after night after night after night. That's, now, I got to ask you this, because I've had a, a couple people on that did Martin back in the day. Where, where, I heard it was a while. I, now, we all love Martin. <laughs> I want right. to right. preface this with that. Right. Not everyone, <laughs> everyone, bullshit. <laughs> everyone has stolen from Martin. At least I know I have for sure. Uh, I, I have. I wouldn't be the comedian I am today without Martin. So, however, I heard he was wild back in the day. Um, 
Wild how? <laughs> What's your definition of wild? I mean, but she is exactly. Now, the, the, the point I would get to is what I've heard is he was saying more so like, yo, I got to run a set, so I have to be strict and kind of, you know, put my foot down. Um, and I think that was more Martin's rebuttal to anybody that thought he was kind of acting, uh, I don't know, irrational or whatever, you know. But what was your experience like on the set? You know, did you understand where he was coming from or, or, or what? Well, here's, here's the thing. Martin comes from a military family, right? Um, I come from a military, yeah, military family. So it's very strict, very disciplined, right? And, and Martin is one of those guys where if I'm giving 100%, and Martin actually was giving 150, 200%, you got to at least give me 75, 80. And if you ain't, you, then you get your asshole reamed out, Straight period. Up. So I never had a problem with him because I was always on point. I would find work to do. Whenever there were more errands or run or thing, I would find stuff to do. They never saw me sitting around lounging. Some of the other PAs would be playing Nintendo. I was always working and, and, and making stuff to do. So I never had a problem with it. Um, but, but, but if you were some, somebody that was slacking and, 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 and you gotta realize, you know, it's, it's his show. That's, at that time, I think each episode was a half a million. I think each episode cost like 500,000. 500, mm. So you're responsible for that. You re, if your name on the show, and people don't, that, he had the most pressure on him. The show is named after you. It's you, you're playing all these characters. And, 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 and at that time, man, yo, it was some, the 90s. We talk about the 90s in my documentary. Yo, the 90s was the shit. You had all these hella dope black sitcoms at the time. You had Def Comedy Jam on. You had uh, uh, Living Single on. You had uh, 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 Living yeah, Color, Color on. Fresh you Prince. had uh, Jamie Foxx, Fresh Prince. You had all these shows on at the same time, man. So you got to hold your own. And we already black. So it's going to be a lot, a lot, a lot of pressure um, on you. So you're going to be extra. And if you went overboard, you know, you may have gone overboard a couple of times, but you won't, you don't know that pressure unless you have that amount of, until you're in that position. So you want everything. You want every, every I, every I dotted, every T's crossed in that bad boy. And, and, you know, it's a lot of stress, a lot of stress. And, and, and sometimes the writers, or maybe get a little lazy in the writing. So he was like, because they know Martin was so talented, and it wasn't right. the black ones. <laughs> but some of the other writers, you get lazy in their writing, and, and, uh, and with, with, oh, well, Martin's talented. He'll figure it out. Hell no. You get paid to write. You write me some shit that's foolproof that anybody can say this line in is funny. Don't put it all on me because, you know, and Martin was doing movies at the same time, touring and, and doing the show. So, I can understand if he's a little bit, you know, overboard, but you know, just, it's just justifiable. Yeah, straight up. So when you first got out there, cause I, I think you touched on something that, that, that I wanted to touch on too, which was the nineties, man. You came up in the nineties doing stand up, man. I feel like that's like a golden era for, for black comedians for sure. What clubs were popping at that time? Like what was the hot spots? That that people were going to, and I want to get to your to your your Fat Tuesdays. But before we get, I, I want to talk about like when you was starting out. Like, what was the venues that you was going to to the the start building up your material? I can't really talk on this too much because it's a it's a huge piece of of the documentary I'm currently shooting oh, right gotcha, now. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. But 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 I but I, I could talk enough to where I, I could paint a picture for you. You know what I'm saying? Straight up. It was it was it was it was it was 
Wakanda. <laughs> nice. It was motherfucking Wakanda because it, it, it was it was it was hip hop was to me the best era hip hop was the nineties. Uh, fashion, you know, um, the, the economy was great. We had expendable income, and then <laughs> and then Def Jam had set the had set the tone and burst this whole new uh, uh, um. What, uh, um, this whole new, uh, what I gotta say, race, human race, a species of black comedians that was unapologetic. So the 90s was was like, man, the 90s was that girl you always wanted to bang <laughs> and you finally bang her and, 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 and it's bomb. It's, it's bomb, the head is bomb, you know what I'm saying? Her titties are bomb. Her, her, she squirts everything. That's what the 90s were. The 90s was that chick that you always wanted to bone, the pretty brown skin, you know, the perfect body, the soft voice, the perfect teeth, smart and intelligent, and then bam, you hit it. And man, the sex is all there too, and she loving you. That was the 90s, man. Man. I found that time and she not take my black ass back, man. Man, yeah, I wish. I mean, I was fucking in elementary and middle school at the time, but uh, Man. but I, I, mean, I, didn't I, have my, I didn't have my teeth fixed, and I still was getting home. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let me see if you okay. Maybe, maybe, hopefully, you could touch on this one. If not, I, I get it. Uh, I wanted to know if there was. I wanted to know like who was a comedian that no one wanted to follow back then. Um, uh, and it only had to be tonight, but like when you was coming up, if, if there was like one particular comedian that everybody was like, this is, a, or, or who was just a beast that everybody was like, yo, this motherfucker is the truth. Well, I mean, it's, that's kind of a difficult, difficult question because at certain parts of your career, you don't want to, it's good to be fearless. It's also good to be smart too. You know, sometimes, mm. you know, there's certain people you don't want to come behind. It's just, and, and from what I understand in the generation before me or right, right you know, entering before I entered, with the guy was Bernie Mac. That was mm. a guy that nobody wanted to follow. Now, uh, I'm sure some people would, would say Robin Harris, mm. you know, when he was hosting. But the guy that I know that I used to hear, that I saw from my own eyes, and I knew personally, it was that guy, Bernie Mac. And, and, and then also, I mean, T.K. Kirkland was one of those guys too, because, you know, because, his, because of his subject matter, because it's, it, it, it was very R-rated, X-rated, very X-rated. So if you're a certain type of comic, you, you got to be a special comic to come on after that. And because and, and, the mind is already gone to, you know, sex, sex, sex. And then Joe, Joe would, would come out there, fire on the audience, bam, 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 that rapid fire like that. You know what I'm saying? Those guys who are like that, who have that rhythm. It, it, you know, you can do it. And I've done it a few times um, because I want to see how big my balls are. You know, sometimes you gotta you gotta set yourself up to fail so you can win. If you think you all that, okay, then then, then then go on stage after somebody you think that everybody's scared to follow and see where your chips lie. And and I remember I did that uh, with with um, Broadman one time, Broadman from the Fifth Flow. Right. Now now I, I had been doing stand up a little bit longer than him because he had stopped. He had blew up on the Martin Show, but as far as name recognition, he was here because he's Broadman from the Fifth Flow, and I was you know. Joe's little brother still, you know? So, <laughs> and, and it's crazy because I used to deliver, deliver his script when I was a P.A.O. Martin, wow. which is crazy. So we was in Philly one time and he was the headliner because he had the bigger name. And, and but I knew, man, I knew, I knew I had something. And I was like, I asked him, I said, hey man, let me follow you, let me close. You, you keep the same money, I'll keep my same feature money, 
but I just want to see how I, I want to see if I can follow somebody who has a bigger name than me. And you have to do those things sometimes. You got to put yourself in those moments so you can just see how big your balls are. Those are growing moments and moments to where you're like, okay, you know, it, it, it gives you a little bit more confidence every time you go. And that's what you want to do every time you're on stage. You want to grow. You don't ever want to take a step backwards. I don't want to take a step forward. Straight up. Yeah, I had to do that one night. I think it was like a crack em up Thursdays in the belly room at the comedy store. They was doing an anniversary show. And I had to go up after, I want to say like Chris Spencer and Tony Rock one night. And I know, <laughs> I know. And I was like, shit, I'm like, I did it. I killed. I'm not going to lie to you. I, I beasted. it. But luckily, I needed that because when I did kill, it gave me the confidence. Like, oh, okay, like you can be one of the big boys. You know what I'm saying? I think at that time I was like, damn, that's fucking Chris Spencer and Tony Rock. They're fucking legends. You know what I'm saying? I mean, both of them, fucking, they, they killers on, on stage. Um, Absolutely. But what to, to go to what you were saying, once you do it and you like, damn, I was able to like really hold down my own, you know, it give you that certain level of confidence. Like, all right, all right, now I just gotta keep even going even harder, um, to get even better, uh, and, and build what I'm trying to do out here comedically. But but I, it's it's also it's also the energy of a show. I remember we were in Tampa and and you wanted to do a guest spot. Right, right. right? And and I was like, Okay, I knew you were funny. And it wasn't that I, I didn't think I could follow you, but I know your energy is almost like mine. You know what I mean? We both have the Hi, same man. type of, my voice ain't as whiny as yours, but it's a little <laughs> bit whiny. <laughs> and we're both animated and we both have the energy that's like this. And sometimes, you know, it, 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 you know you, I don't like following someone who's almost have the same energy as I do. Like when I used to put shows together for Fat Tuesdays, I had a formula that I used to put different styles together because it's all about styles. You don't want, you know, Two motherfuckers on the same show doing impersonations. Mm, you know what I'm saying? You want right. two two laid back people on the show. You want you want levels to a show. So I had a formula, a number formula that I taught my bookers how to book a show so the show could be consistent and a climax at the end. So with you, I was like, okay. When I saw you, I was like, okay. You you brought the heat. You had the motherfuckers here, and I was like, okay, all right. Uh, I gotta take them. I gotta meet them where you are, but I gotta bring them back into my world, then take them back up because I I like to start here. I like to simmer them down because I'm on stage for an hour. I think you did maybe like 10, Probably 10 so. or 12 minutes. So I'm on stage for an entire hour at, at least, hour 15, hour 30 max. So I got to find a way to, to sustain, you know, levels of that, of that show and not be here the whole time. So it's a way you just kind of got like meet them where you left them and then slowly work, work them into your world and then get them back to where you want them. It's, it's a science. People don't understand that. Yeah. Hey, and I appreciate you letting me get up, man, because, you know, I, I'm from the Tampa Bay area, St. Petersburg. He was performing at the Tampa Improv. Uh, and every blue moon, if I see a comedian that I like, because <laughs> I don't even want to sit through a comedian that I don't like, even to do a guest spot. <laughs> so <laughs> so I, when, I, when I look, sometimes I'll go on and be like, let me see who performing this weekend. And if it's a comedian that I like, then I hit them up and be like, yo, do you mind if I do a guest spot? Because that way I could be like, all right, not only am I going to get some time in, but I actually get to sit down and enjoy the comedy of a comedian that I'm a fan of. Uh, but all comedians don't let you get up on their shows. All I, I, I don't do guest spots. I, so I appreciate that, bro. I'll I tell you why. I used to all the time, and comics used to abuse it. They go over their time. And, and that's why, I mean, I'm all for helping other comedians out. That's what Fat Tuesdays was all about. Fat Tuesdays was never about me. Fat Tuesdays always was about giving a platform to other comedians. But when I was on the road, and I start letting people do guest spots, 
they, 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 you know, some of them ain't used to being in front of a big crowd, a crowd that large, you know, they supposed to do five minutes, they go on and do 13, it's like, yo, and, and, and what it does is, what it does is, number one, is disrespectful. So as a man, I'm like, okay, you disrespected me as a man. Then you disrespect me as a black man. Then I'm short. So now I think you think I'm short. <laughs> then I got dimples. So now that's four times. So that's four time motherfucking disrespect. Okay. <laughs> I'm short. I'm black. I'm a man. And I got dimples. And, and, and I try to be a nice guy. I got, you know, teeth, nice teeth. So now you disrespect me because you think I'm a bitch. So, so now, now that's the disrespect part that you didn't went way over your time. Number two, now, now I'm out of my head for my show. Now I'm swole. Now I'm ready to punch you in your face when you come off stage. You and done I turned into you done turned into Joe Tory. You know? I turned exactly. <laughs> now, and people, I tell people, don't let these dimples fool you. Uh, <laughs> but now, now I'm out of my head. I'm out of my game. And they came to see me. My name was Lamarkey. The pressure to put those asses in those seats is on me. So for them to come back, that's my audition for the next time I come back. Because we all got bills or families to feed or mothers to take care of or whatever. So so that's how we eat. So when you, it's, it's a direct slap in the face. When, and so to keep people, keep me out of jail, I just don't let anybody go up. Straight, <laughs> straight up, straight up. Hey, man. And, and, unless I respect you and I'm like, okay, you know, if I know you're gonna respect the time. And then sometimes cats just be trying to go up and get some pussy. And I ain't mm. trying to be a cock blocker, but it's like, it's like you, didn't, you ain't really working on nothing. You ain't really working. If you say you gotta work on a tonight show set, or a set for this or a set for that, boom, I'm I'm with you. But if it's just cause you wanna, you wanna, you wanna, you know, walk around like a peacock act afterwards, you know, nigga, no, you, you ain't doing that on, on my show. Yeah, straight up. Straight up. So I wanna talk about uh, if you can the um when you did Kings of Comedy. Um how was that experience? Because I don't I don't know if everyone knows you was the one of the original, you was the original host, right? Original host, yeah. Yeah, yeah. for Kings of Comedy. Uh, and I remember that was something I found out like a few years back and I was like, damn, I ain't know that shit. You know what I'm saying? So how, how did you land that spot? Uh, and how was that experience doing that show? I can't talk about that too much because we just interviewed uh, um, Steve Harvey for my project and he breaks it down beautifully. Okay. And, good. Uh, and yeah. so, and we talking about that, but I would say um, Fat Tuesdays had something to do with that. You know, they wanted somebody who, 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 who was going to make it, not make it about them. And mm. at the time, at the time, I was doing comedy five years, barely five years in the game. So I was really, really, I was more like the prince of the kings of comedy than I was the king of comedy. I was, so they wanted somebody who had the hottest room in the country. Um, I got along with everybody. And, you know, um, when, when, you, when you see the documentary, uh, you'll understand, you know, how that came about. But yeah, it was, it was a great experience because it grew me up. That tour grew me up. I went from being a comic to a comedian. Mm, straight up. Straight up, man. Comic says funny things. A comedian make things funny. And watching those guys on stage, night after night after night after night, kill and destroy in these ten thousand seat arenas. I mean, fifteen thousand sometimes. I mean, bam! It was like wow. And I just had jokes back then. I didn't have an act. I just had jokes. Good man, good. man, I, I, I tell people, Steve Harvey is because uh, I'm gonna talk about. I'm gonna personally talk about Bernie Mac, but Steve Harvey is so funny bruh and i'm gonna be honest yeah. with you i didn't understand how funny he was until i started listening to his radio show it wasn't Man. even the kings of comedy uh movie 
it wasn't that because for me, Bernie Mac was the the, the be all, you know, the end all, the be all. When I saw Kings of Common, I was just like, this dude. That that's to this day the hardest I've ever laughed. I literally, I'm not joking when I say this. I blacked out <laughs> and came back. That's how hard I remember being in my bed watching when he was doing that. Uh, uh, I laughed so hard. I promise you, I went black and then I came back too. And I was like, holy shit, bro. That's when I was like, he's the funniest, the funniest well, thing. Well, well, try, try seeing that for 52 shows <laughs> and laughing and laughing every time with Cedric set, with Steve, with Bernie. And we, we did 52 shows that tour. And then with me, I was, at the same time I was hosting Kings of Comedy, I was doing a movie Life. So I was oh. on the set with, with Bernie all the time. So it was this continuous, you know, Bernie. And me and Bernie spent at least every day together probably for about, I mean, at least about three months. I think I worked on Life for about three months. So about three, for three months, you know, because Sunday through, Sunday through uh, Thursday, we were on set, and then um, um, Friday, Saturday, you know, we was on tour. So it was, it was, and then, and then, and then, and then, and then, and then being going from that, and then going to on set to be with Martin Nettie. Yeah, that's why. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like and Bernie Steele at part of that, and Miguel Nunez and Anthony Anderson. Everybody was funny on that set. Who was the funniest on that set? Bernie. Bernie, because Bernie would hold court. Bernie loved holding court and telling stories. So Bernie used to have Eddie Murphy die. And when you, I mean, come on, when you have Eddie Murphy die, <laughs> you know? Well, see, this is the- Eddie this, Murphy die. This is what I found surprising. I was watching Eddie Murphy's um, Comedians in Cars getting coffee with Jerry Seinfeld. Right, right. And Jerry Seinfeld good. said, yo, Bernie Mac may be one of the funniest comedians to ever like this Jerry Seinfeld saying is that you know and he white too I can understand a black comedian saying this right Jerry right. Seinfeld said yo I think Bernie Mac is probably one of the funniest humans to ever walk this earth and Eddie was like Bernie really Bernie and I was kind of surprised that Eddie was saying that because I'm like yes nigga Bernie yes <laughs> like but well, he's he started naming like older comedians and I I get it he was, right. he was, he started naming like people from like, he grew up watching. So I could understand that might be why, but even, even somebody like a Chappelle, even somebody I think of an older generation can be like, Chappelle is one of the, he's, he's one of the greatest, even if you didn't grow up seeing him. I think you could look at the material and be like, I, I mean, I don't know. I might, you know, I might be speaking. Well, comedy, comedy is subjective. Right. That's why it's hard to, 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 answer those questions, especially as comedians, because we get influenced by a lot of people. But whoever makes you laugh the most, that's where your sensibility is. I tell young comics that all the time. Whoever makes you, that's what you study. Study everybody, but whoever makes you laugh the most, that's what you study because you, you your, your point of view or your funny bone, y'all kind of share the same bone in that, in that regard. But I can see what Eddie said. I can see what, what, what uh, Seinfeld said. Eddie, I'm sure, studied the game, which I'm sure Seinfeld did, because I watched um, Comedian by Seinfeld at least three times a year. The yeah. DVD he did way back in the early nineties. Um, I just watched it man, during uh, the, uh, last year during uh, quarantine. I watched it all the time for him to do what he did to scrap all his material at the height of his career and go back from ground zero is is, is amazing to me. But you know, uh, Eddie study, you know, probably Pig Meek Markham and Godfrey Cambridge and Flip Wilson and 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 uh, Bill Cosby and Pryor and, and 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 the other ones, Lenny Bruce. 
he's mom's Mabley. Right. You know, he studied those comedians, man, and 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 how they had to make people laugh. And and, and uh, we had to do white comedy. You know, we had to do comedy for what black comedy for white people. You know, and and it wasn't really probably until Def Jam where we probably said, "Fuck it, we doing comedy for us." I think that's what it switched. But in this documentary, uh, without giving too much away, man, it. it we talked to some incredible, credible comedians, man. And it's sad that I can't talk to everybody I want to talk to because our budget is only so much. And then with COVID, um, we had to have, we had to, <laughs> our COVID budget, I think was more than our regular budget. Right. We had to, <laughs> I mean, our COVID, our COVID budget, woo, buddy. Crazy, huh? Man, took, took up, yeah. So, but there's going to be other, there's going to be other stuff coming. And 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 um, down the pike with this Fat Tuesday thing, man. But I'm telling you, um, it's it's this is going. This is a special special piece, man. Um, that's going to be coming at you straight in your face. That I think will be something to watch for years. And it's our story. And that's what I always wanted to do um, is be able to tell our stories as black comedians. You know, male and female comedians, man. Because we have a journey you know, that's interesting and different from every other art. You know, musicians do their thing. Yes, they travel like we do, but they got members and they got crews and they got, you know, yep. notes they can hold. They got history. They got hits they can sing over and over and over fucking again for a hundred years. We just got our, that microphone and our motherfucking jokes and, 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 our, and, our, and our, the love for what we do. So, I want to be able to tell these stories, man, and 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 that's what's happening with this this, this uh, project I'm on. Man, that's amazing. Uh, I can't wait to check it out. Uh, let me get into some of your uh, films. What time is it? Hold on. What time is it? Four thirty-six. Oh yeah, did it okay. come in yet? I don't know yet. I'm, I, might, I might have to run out and tear some shit up. I'm about to say if it's guilty <laughs> and you got it and you throw your phone, I I'll be like, okay. all right, well, I guess this is the hey, end man. of that, and uh, I appreciate you. I live downtown LA, man. I'm telling you right now, I'm hitting the cigar shop first and still all about cigars first. And then I'm hitting everything else. I don't know if that verdict came yet, man. Well, you let you Yo. let me know what it is too, in case I gotta go uh, beat up some people. I'm, I'm tearing some shit up. The only good thing about a bad verdict is white people are extremely nice to us for at least a week. You know, <laughs> they, they <laughs> on their P's and Q's. <laughs> They're like, whatever you need uh -huh. me, whatever you need. Oh, uh, they, they, they in, uh, Hold on one second, sorry. Okay, they haven't announced it yet. But uh they haven't announced it yet, but they're getting ready to. Verdict to be read any minute now. Okay. All right, let's go. Let's let's talk. You yeah, got girlfriend nah, let me know. Talk. His girlfriend talk. So I want to talk about you don't work with some people, so I want to talk about uh the Waynes, the Waynes family. You did Don't Be a Menace. How how was that experience? Man, that was my first uh first film. My first my first acting job, man. I had to pay to be in that damn movie. What? <laughs> yeah, I had to pay because I was I was SAG eligible. So I had to and before I did the movie, I had to join the union. And and the union dues was a thousand fifty fifty, right? Thousand dollars, fifty dollars and fifty cents. I only got paid six hundred dollars to do <laughs> to do for my day rate. So so <laughs> I had to pay basically four hundred something dollars to be in a movie technically. It's a classic. I had to join the union. <laughs> I had to join the union before I, before I did the movie, so I basically kind of had to pay. Hey, man. But it's worth it. It was money well spent because, you know, that's what made me get my teeth fixed. When I saw my, my grill on 70 millimeters, I was like, oh, Lord, nigga. 
when you did the movie, did you know it was gonna become a classic that it that it is? You 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 don't, man, and you shouldn't. You know, when you when you read because there's always three movies, man. No, okay, what you do? Comedy dramas. It's the one that's written, the one you uh uh shoot, and the one you edit. You know, that's why the writers get um awards, and that's why directors get awards, and that's why actors get awards, and that's why even um um editors, I think I said editors, editors get awards because right. dude, it 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 all depends. Everybody everything has to come together. So for it to be a cult classic the way it is, and I've had a couple of cult classics. Uh, oh, I've been, let I me mean, take that back. I've been in a couple of cult classics. Um, so yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't at all, man. But people love that movie. I've only seen it probably three times. I, I've seen most of my movies maybe only three times. That's crazy. Maybe, maybe only two. I've seen the scenes every once in a while because I'm, I'm putting together a reel or something. But I, I hate watching me. Man, I've watched that movie. I don't know how many. I, I had a Don't Be a Menace t-shirt. I said, that's going to be too much. <laughs> I was going to wear it. I said, that might be a little creepy. I'm not going to wear that one. Um, no, I always love for the Wayans, though, for putting me in that movie, man. And Robbie Reed, who casted it, man. So, you know, shout out to one of the greatest award-winning casting agents ever. I'm not even going to say black. I'm going to say casting agent, director, uh, should I say, CSA, um, Robbie Reed. And also the Wayans for putting me in that movie and and really budding my it started introduction to my acting career. Man, shout out to that man. All right, and what about um, American History X? Another cult classic for a different reason. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <laughs> that movie, uh, a result of Fat Tuesdays. You know, they saw me at Fat Tuesdays, man. And who saw and, you and at Fat Tuesdays? Role, the director. Gotcha. Uh, and producers, and. Um, and definitely, and definitely, um, um, man. So shout out, and that's what the night was created for in the first place, was to get everybody, to, you know, work. But yeah, that movie was interesting, man, because you have a great actor in Ed Norton, man, who is, was misunderstood basically, um, who who bumped head with a lot of other directors and producers and stuff. But the end result was a cult classic, man, and I learned so much from working with him as an actor, as a serious actor. And it, and it's hard, man, because when you're a comedian, our our my muscles automatically put making everything funny. That's what we do, no matter what it is. Be a plane crash, like damn, a lot of good pussy on that plane. <laughs> you know, we come back, we go go to that. Straight up. But as a as a dramatic actor, man, you got to take your comedy ego and throw it way out the window, and and be true to that dark side. Because the reason why we're comedians in the first fucking place is because we're dark on the inside. Yep. And you got to take your comedy ego put it out the way, tap into that dark side that brought us to comedy anyway, and, and live there, dwell in that dark side. And that's when you'll be able to bring your, 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 your dramatic moments out. I said that about Kevin Hart a long time ago. We did an independent movie called The Last Stand that Russ Parr, radio host, uh, Russ, Russ Parr wrote and directed. I want to talk Kevin about that movie. Some, yeah, I'm listening. Russ, I mean, Hart, Kevin did some very dramatic um, um, work in that movie. I was like, man, if he ever decided to go dramatic, you know, he gonna kill that shit. And he did in that one movie, and I'm sure there's more roles for him to come, but when we as comedians are able to tap into that dark side, and, and we, 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 we'll be great dramatic actors. We just gotta get, quit trying to be funny all the fucking time. Yeah, that's a lot of comedians' downfall. They don't know how to bring it down when it comes to why they don't be, why they don't book acting roles. You know, you gotta know right. how to bring it down. So even some of the stuff that I book, there's still drama in a lot. I mean, the last two shows I did, technically, Rush Hour and MacGyver, 
I right. mean, technically, they're one-hour dramas, you know. Right. You know, so you well, have dram to know. Dram dramedies in a way. Dramedies, for know, sure. Not, not, not MacGyver, classic. The classic MacGyver wasn't, but Rush Hour, even though it was, it, it had its comedic elements, uh, it, the show still had to be grounded in right. drama in order to get that. So it, it takes, you know, uh, salute to you, it takes a, 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 a special actor to do able to do both. When you're given the liberty, because I did a show called The Strip on YouTube back that. in the day, yeah. where I played a, the big detective, and I wanted off that fucking show, because it, 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 you know, handcuff. the handcuffs, you know, handcuffs, handcuffs, and it's like, man, you know, they hire you because they hire actor to read lines. Then, yeah, I can do that, but you you brought my role in there for a reason to be comedic. Don't handcuff me. And want to do comedy your way? Let me do. Let me do me, and I'll balance the two. I, I promise you, I will. Because and that that was a good thing about life. First day on the set, Eddie Murphy told the director Ted Demi, "Rest in peace. Let them go." Mm. Eddie Murphy told the director, "Let them let them bring whatever." And for him to do that, you know, with all that funny around him, not to mention it was a period piece. Because because now we're ad libbing, but we had to be true in, in the piece. And study what ad libs were, what was slang back in the forties. Right. They be doing some 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 <laughs> two thousand nine ninety eighty eighty shit. Right. So I, I immersed myself in the forties in that era and how they how they how they gave five and how they walked and what jive was back then. So when I ad lib, I ad lib one of those words, not something that's current. I remember when we did the uh, baseball scene, uh, it was two extras high fiving. And I told the director, because you know, I'm not the director, so I told the director, you don't ever go to another actor. I told the director, hey man, they just they just high five in that. He was like, I said, they didn't high five in the 40s. It was more like this. Mm. Like, oh, oh, oh. So you gotta be able to catch that shit. Straight you up. Know? And um, so yeah, so you so for Eddie Murphy to say, hey, let them go, and it'd be a period piece like that, that's trust. That that's trust. trust. And what that is, is a lack of ego on his part. Yeah. Yeah, and iron sharpen iron. Straight up, which is why you that move another classic that you that you done been a part of. Hey, what? So I I remember seeing. I think I went to the premiere of the Last Stand. Um, I probably was just new in L.A. Somehow I got tickets, and I probably was you know in the theater. So I'm like, oh, look at this movie. Great movie. I remember I enjoyed the movie. I remember also noticing Kevin Hart's performance also in that film. Mm. He beasted it. He he beasted that. And he, here's my thought. Here's, here's what I was thinking. Is there any comedian, did you know in that moment, or has there ever been a comedian who career ascended and you didn't expect them to ascend to the levels that they had ascended? Or was there any comedian that you saw coming up and you, you knew from the get-go, like, yo, he finna be a star. Like, he go take off one day. That's a good question. That's a good question. Um, I can't say that I have. Got you. I can't say that I have. I mean, people uh, are still ascending. Um, you find your 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 niche, your niche market, and you get the right team around you. Because some people, I mean, it, it, there's some people who I thought would be bigger, you know, in some regard, you know. Um, there's levels that I haven't reached that I want to reach, still reach. But it's it's also about team. You, you got to have an awesome team around you. It's not just talent. 
You know, yeah. it's, it's, there's some guys out there on some school grounds who would who were, would have ran circles around Michael Jordan, but for some reason everything wasn't aligned. Mm. You can't, you have, you have, you have, it had to be more than just the talent. It has to be, you know, your will, your drive, having the right team around you, making the right decisions, and without sounding corny, it, it takes God. That for me, I can't. I can only speak on my faith and, and my belief, but being having that, and I'm really, really just finding out now, you know, um, in 28 years of doing this business, but but living, from, you know, at my age, 52 years, of what it really means to let go and let God. You mm. hear that all the time, but only when time of crisis. But it's really supposed to be every fucking day. It's supposed to be whatever you do, even in this business, in this business, which is the devil's playground. You know, it's not stressing over shit that you can't control. Straight up. And 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 putting the work. This this documentary that I'm working on, I've been working on for 12 years, 10 of it underground. Wow. And I just kept grinding at it, putting it down, going on tour, picking it back up. Always believing in it. Always believing in it. And and now that I'm doing it right now, this is when it was supposed to be done. Because everything lined up. You know, you 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 think about COVID happening when we started pitching it to studios and like, man, how's this gonna work? Zoom, fuck, you can't, cause we've been in the rooms pitching and it's nothing like being in the room. Right. You've been in the rooms and you've been in that room and feel that energy and you're a performer, boom. But then through Zoom, you don't get the same, it's like doing Zoom fucking comedy. Right. It, it ain't the same, you don't get the same energy as that live. So but God was like, hey, don't worry about it. Just go do, be you. And, and, but for everything to line up the way it did, I wasn't supposed to do it 12 years ago or five years ago or three years ago. It's supposed to be done right now because right now we had access to the talent because usually the talent mm. we have on a movie set, a TV set, or on tour. We had access to the comedy store, which is normally open, but it was closed. So we were able to get in there and film. And so, so it happened right when it was fucking supposed to happen. I got the right director that I wanted mm. and, and his schedule uh, uh, allowed him to be open to do it and something he wanted to do. So, you know, those people out there who, who, who may be listening to this, you got a project you've been working on and you believe in, don't give it up. Don't give up at all. Keep grinding on it. Keep grinding on it. Keep praying on it. And I guarantee you, it's going to be beyond what you thought because this project is beyond whatever thought it could be. And, and, not that I put limits on God, but he's going to take you to a whole nother place. So whatever project it is, you don't have to be in the business. It can be uh, for, you don't have to be an entertainer, but whatever idea that, that, that because that's your gift. My gift is, is comedy. My gift is stand up entertainment. So if your gift is medicine and you got a cure for some shit or you're an inventor, you got something, some product you want to invent, keep believing in it and keep working on it. And, and, and with whoever you pray to, I, I ain't speaking for anyone else's religion, but whatever you pray to, keep praying pray to, to the devil. But nigga, you be you be in hell with you be in hell with a vaccine, then nigga. <laughs> nah, I'm like, I'm fucking around. Be in hell with an anti-God vaccine. <laughs> <laughs> um, my mom is somewhere no, shedding I, I, fear. <laughs> I mean, oh, I didn't mean, I mean to get deep, but I just had to share that you know with those out there listening, man, who. Who who working on something and think that it's never gonna see light? If you keep working on it, it's gonna see light because God has three answers for you: yes, no, and not yet. The no's may be not yes, so don't force it. Just just be patient, and that's all I'm gonna say on that. Hey man, okay, I think that's, that's, 
I about to say that's the perfect way to end the end it right there, man. I don't, I don't got yeah, nothing man. to say after that. You know what I'm saying? Other I just want everybody to do what they want to do, man. Hey, man. Hey, listen. I appreciate you. Uh, I know that verdict is about to come out, but I mean, I think the way you ended it was the perfect way to end it, man. Like I said, I, I created this platform to celebrate people I feel like are living legends and making legendary moves. Can't wait to see the, the documentary, bro. Um, fire, man. I, I'm looking forward to it, man. I wish you nothing but continued success. You a king. Um, yeah, man. And keep doing your thing, bro. I appreciate you for doing this. Oh, trust me, man. And, and, this, and just stay tuned. I, I, I got something for you, so just stay tuned. Hey, right now, I'm, I'm, they're gonna do this verdict. I'm gonna go get my musket. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna get my poof. <laughs> and it's 420. I don't smoke. I smoke cigars, but I'm gonna smoke something today. Hey, straight up, straight up. Well, if I got, uh, I got stuff, I, I got stuff, man. I, I look. What is that? Is that Cali Kush? Is that your brand? Where I got it from. The Oscar <laughs> Scottdale. Yeah, it was an Oscar party. I got this. Right. I don't smoke, but. I smoke every once in a while, but I, I wanted to point my boy's line uh, cookies to Gary Payton. That's my guy. I ran out of Gary Payton, but if you if you do cookies, make sure you support Gary Payton. That's my guy. That's his line of weed. And and too short, too short got a line too. Shout so, out to too short, yeah. man. Yeah. Um, you and uh, you back on the road? You got any? Man, I just got. I, yeah, I just got back. Just got back from um, um Toledo, Toledo, Ohio, and it's funny, man, because you know. Since 2000, I've been grinding the road at least 30, 40 weekends a year. And last year was the first year it was all shut down. But getting back on the road, man, dude, you, you not only are your jokes rusty and your timing is rusty, your packing is rusty. Because you start, you leave, you don't pack everything that you normally, you know, you have a routine. Like, you know, you, know, you left the Cialis pills and the rubbers, nigga. <laughs> now you limp, now you limp digging raw dog. <laughs> Making all type of bad decisions. <laughs> but no, nah, but it was good, man. Toledo, they, 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 you know, people are waiting to get back out, man. The clubs are doing a great job of social distancing, man. I want to shout out real quick. I want to shout out to Improv, man. Improv, a couple of weeks ago, man. Improv sent me a box, man. Which city? And uh, I know it was just from the Improv, period. Oh, they fire. sent me a box, man, and they said, we miss you. And that just meant a lot, man. And it had a little gift bag in it with a notepad and a and a, and, a, uh, and, a, and, a, and a backpack, man. You know, very simple, but very impactful. Yeah. And I'm just like, damn, when, when, when they, you know, and that made me really want to get back out there too, man. So shout out to the Improv Chain, the Funny Bone Chain, Chuckles, the Black-owned comedy clubs, man. Um, we got support, we got support. So come on out, man, and, and laugh. We need it, people. Y'all need the laughter. We comedians need it for our therapy. Right. The clubs need it because they have staff and they have families. It's a win-win for everybody. We support live comedy. There's nothing like picking up that mic and going at it with a live audience and speaking to y'all. So get out there in them clubs, y'all, but social distance. Straight up. I, I want to I wanna make note before we go that the improv ain't send me shit. <laughs> Fuck y'all for not sending me no bad hey, But see, you got to realize I'm a 20-year vet with That's the improv. True. That's right. I ain't made no, him enough money yet. I ain't made. I, ain't made <laughs> I, I respect it, Emperor. I'm just talking shit. No, right. please, please put me. You don't piss them off. Yeah, yeah. you don't. Yeah. No, I, I love the Emperor. Good to your boy. I don't perform that some Emperor. Shout out to the Emperor, man. Guy, appreciate you, bro. Keep doing your thing, man. Yes, sir. Peace. Sweet, 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 sweet.